right, everybody, welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. I am your host, Chris Denson, here for another uh, amazing conversation, hopefully. Um, say hello, Shaw Selby. Hey, how's it going? Did I pronounce your name right? Yep, that's correct. Oh, good, good. Um, just so you know, I have a very scratchy throat, so either I will sound like sickly or sexy, d- depending on you know the moment. So um, just forewarning you. Thanks, yeah. Um, where's the name Shah come from? It's actually uh, um, Persian. My mom's uh, from Iran. I would have never guessed it. Yeah, yeah. I look like a white guy. You do. Uh, so you, you're, are you in disguise? Are you up, up to some... some... <laughs> Never mind, we won't go there. Um, so for the sake of introduction, give the people a little bit of you know, like the 90 second version of who Shah Selby is, the half Iranian explorer. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm an engineer, but but kind of more specifically, I'm, I'm a conservation technologist, uh, which is kind of a, a new term. When I first started saying it, people looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, but like I'm looking at you. Yeah, exactly. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, but the whole idea behind it is, you know, I, I look at some of like the biggest challenges our planet is facing from a conservation and environmental perspective. And I try and bring technologies into how we solve those. So. So what I mean, what does that look like? Right. Because, you know, conservation technology is or at least the, the idea of con- conservation in the in the environment and, you know, studying it and so on and so forth. What does the, the Shah Selby version of that look like is different from like 40, 50 years ago or even 10, 15? Right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's all it's all pretty brand new. I'm really what what I do is I look at like the whole tech space and all the different things that we're doing all over the tech space and how those can apply to some of the problems that we face um, with fisheries or with protection of reserves. And and so from a day-to-day basis, it's all over the place. It, it doesn't look like one thing normally. I, you know, I've, I've worked with lots of nonprofits, I've worked with governments and I've done kind of my own development of technologies before. So, you know, my Monday looks nothing like what my Tuesday will look like. And I might be in Botswana one day or, you know, in the middle of the Pacific another day. So it's, it's pretty varied. That's pretty awesome. And so you're also a Nat Geo Explorer. Um, kind of explain what those three words together mean. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, Nat, yeah. National Geographic Explorer. It's, uh, it's actually it, one of my favorite titles. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, so, Basically, what it is, it's it's a fellowship program. So it's kind of like um, you know, Pop Tech Fellow or TED Fellow or something like that. But um, National Geographic every year they pick uh, fifteen people they think are doing some interesting or innovative work that can have some sort of a, a positive impact on the world. And you know, these can be artists, scientists, anthropologists, people all over the board. Um, and in 2013, they picked me for some of this conservation technology work that I do. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when we talked before and you were talking about sort of, uh, there's a quote I read about you. Um, and it was actually the first line of a wall street journal article, but it was really interesting when Shaw Selby began attending environmental conferences several years ago, he felt like an odd man out. Yeah. Um, why? Yeah. So when I first started talking about this stuff, it all, it was all kind of born out of, um, grad school, actually. So I went to Stanford and I started to kind of think through these ideas and, and I'd sit in a room and I'd be, you know, surrounded by, um, biologists, conservation biologists or environmental lawyers. And they're talking about all these problems that they're facing. And, you know, it just slowly started coming to me. They'd say, Oh, we're having this problem with fisheries tracking where the fish are going and when we catch them. And I just raise my hand and say, you know, have you guys talked to FedEx, like how they track things or UPS, right? Like there's, there's solutions out here that we're not thinking about. And in the beginning, you know, 
people thought I was nuts. Hold on. How does FedEx and, and fishery match up? Well, so it actually can. Right now in fisheries, it's a, a big problem is knowing where the fish came from. So illegal fishing is this massive issue that we're dealing with right now. And it's and it's a problem because, you know, if they're pulling more stuff out of the water than we know what they're pulling out, then, you know, our fisheries can collapse. We basically can lose industries. We've seen it happen in New England with cod. Um, we see it happen all over the world. And so it's it's a ma- when I say it's a massive problem, I mean, you know, a, a third of all the fish that Americans eat is illegally caught. Half of what goes into the EU. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a big, big thing. So what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to understand, you know, what fishermen caught that fish and how that ends up on your plate. They, it's this problem that they call traceability. Well, that's a problem that shipping companies have solved for, you know, they've been doing this for a very long time, right? Uber does it. Like all these people who know where things are and can track to where things are, you know, where they end up. As long as the fish doesn't arrive damaged, I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) it. That's, I mean, that's the other thing about illegal fishing is if you saw some of the conditions that these fish are caught in, you probably wouldn't want to eat it when you see it. So, so, okay. So, sorry, I interrupted, but the, the, so you, you're able to use the same methodology by which, you know, you could track a package or yeah. track, you know, a, a group of packages. Exactly. Same methodology, same technologies, right? You can use barcodes and and mobile scanners and all these things that they use to track things uh, in the shipping industry. You can use them in the fishing industry. So, All right. So back to your fish out of water <laughs> um, feeling at these conferences. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're in this room with biologists and they're saying like you're offering up these solutions and how do they respond to your FedEx? Yeah, well, you I mean, know. well, so originally they, they responded, um, you know, they didn't respond too well. They said, you know, we know what we're doing. We've been doing conservation for a long time, and this is how you solve it. Um, it probably also didn't help that in those early days, this was um, uh, maybe like 2008, 2007, I was talking a lot about the, the possibility of using drones to kind of protect a lot of these areas. And and I don't know if you remember what drones were in 2008 and 2007, but everyone, when you said it, they would think about Afghanistan and Iraq right. and predator drones. That's the AR parrot. Yeah, yeah, yeah this was like, before the like, phantom. What? Exactly. It was before all this stuff, right? So people were like, what is this guy talking about? You know, like they thought I, I was a little strange. Um, but I was persistent and I thought that this was something that could actually help. And so, um, and so now you look around at the conservation world and all these major nonprofits, the World Wildlife Fund and and Pew and and these big ones that have kind of been around and do a lot of stuff. Now they're all starting up their own little conservation technology arms. And so, um, so it's, it's, it's fully changed and it's been really exciting to kind of see that, that evolution take place. So, so give us an example of, uh, because I'm like super curious about the process by which somebody comes as, Hey, Shah, we need you to go here. And you're like, all right, let me put a game plan together. Yeah. Like what, what is that process like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, usually a lot of it ends up being, like a government or a big nonprofit that's helping government, they say, we've decided that we're going to protect this region off the coast, or we're going to make a, a park or a reserve in, in this part of Africa. And and they know that technology is going to have a part of it, but they don't know exactly what that means. And so usually they'll bring me out and I'll do kind of this big evaluation of, of the situation, understand how big the area they're trying to protect, you know, see what cell phone coverage is like, talk to the rangers or the people who are supposed to do the things there, talk to the nonprofits and the people who are working in the areas there, understand like the universities in the area. I basically get an idea of the entire ecosystem in that area. And then um, I come back and, and then I come back and I, and I work on like developing these kinds of technologies or identifying certain technologies that they can, they can implement there um, in, in kind of a sustainable way. And so I say that in, you know, in that 
it has to be inexpensive enough that that government can use it. It's got to be, you know, reliable and maintainable in that region. So, you know, I'm not going to bring the highest technology stuff from the U.S. to Namibia, where they maybe don't have the technologies or like the understanding to be able to to keep it up and sustain it and stuff. And so I go through that entire process and I work with all the people there and I kind of teach them how to build it, teach them how to use it. And, and we, we deploy it in kind of these um, uh, pilot projects. and then So you're not taking like a big team to uh, Namibia, right? Like you're working a lot with the local groups there. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the work that I do is, is kind of focused on that, is build, building the capacity in those, in those countries to be able to solve these problems, as opposed to like coming in as like the external savior to try and help them, you know? So it, I did a lot of work earlier in my career with this organization called Engineers Without Borders, and they do a lot of kind of clean water and sanitation and, and, and solar power projects all over the developing world. And they always make sure that everything that you build there, everything that you kind of implement in these areas, you have to be able to buy replacement parts down the road. Or you have to be able to train the people who live in those communities to, to maintain those kinds of systems. So these are basically like three-day projects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're big things. <laughs> so you go in and what's, so there's a, obviously, I didn't realize this, like how much upfront work needs to be happening. What is that? Like, a, I'm just curious as a time frame. Is it like four weeks? Is it? You yeah, know? I mean, it, it depends on the project and how complicated it is. But, you know, we have some that are it takes a couple months to figure that kind of stuff out um it 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 really depends project to project i i have relationships in a number of areas where they've been going on years and we're constantly refining it and and building it out and kind of making it work better that's amazing uh why why (laughs) yeah why why? (laughs) because i mean you're obviously a very smart guy i think you're a rocket scientist at some point am i I right or am i exaggerating no yeah i I spent 10 years at at boeing see so yes um so it literally takes a rocket scientist to do what you're doing but like why is this even coming from a boeing right why make that transition into more conservationally focused efforts yeah i mean it's it was a it was a problem that kind of spoke to me you know I, i feel like there's all these bad things happening in the world and that there's not enough smart people working on them. You know, we have more problems than we have people actually working towards solutions on this kind of stuff. Um, And for me, you know, the environment was always something important to me. I was always kind of an outdoorsy guy, scuba diver and all that sort of stuff. And so when it came to, when I started understanding how big the problem actually was, you know, with this illegal fishing thing and, and this whole extinction problem. So we're kind of in the middle of, of what's considered the sixth mass extinction so, you know, there's there's been extinctions before. You know, everyone's heard of, like, the Ice Age or dinosaurs, when the dinosaurs died Great off. movies. Yeah. <laughs> Great movies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, like, so we've, we've seen this stuff happen before. And but and scientists now are saying we're in the middle of the sixth uh, one. And, and this is the first one that's not caused by an asteroid or by, like, some kind of big world change. It's caused by humans. Um, so, you know, we've, we've kind of killed off a lot of animals. In the last 40 years, we've lost... 52% of the animals on this planet, which is pretty crazy. That's 52% of the species or 52% of, of, of animals the population? By numbers. Yeah, it's, it's kind of this big, long-running survey that, that a few nonprofits are involved in um, where they index numbers of species, of, of key species, and, uh, and they look at the declines in them. And over the last, since 1970 to, to today, we've lost 52%. What, so uh, I have a question in my notes about global warming, which I, like, I figured you were the guy to ask. Yeah. What, uh, 
Is it real? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And why is there such a large percentage of people that don't believe it? Oh, y- the reason why is because the the um, global warming denialists, the people who are kind of pushing against that, were were amazingly effective at marketing. Like they did a really good job at painting it as this, you know, thing that's maybe real, maybe not real. When in reality, you know, ninety nine percent of scientists believe that it's real. We see the effects of it now. It's definitely real. Um, but they just did a really good job at at making people think. Like, where, like, where is there room for doubt? Like, that's, that's my, you know, that's, that's sort of my thing. And and if if it's like they've done a great, such a great job at marketing, you know, is there an effort? I mean, even what you do, right? Like, um, to be able to take what you're learning and put it in a, you know, have a bigger sound box or a bigger, yeah, well, you know, speaker box to to tell the message. Yeah, no, definitely, and that's something that. Um, we have to get better at, you know, people who are working on these kinds of solutions, conservationists, scientists, there's a lot of really amazing work going out there. There's a lot of scientists that are going to these parts of the world and doing insane stuff. Like they're getting shot at, you know, they're, they're like discovering things. They're doing all this amazing stuff, but they are just so horrible at telling the story to people about it. And so nobody ever knows about this, this amazing stuff. So, so, so that's an issue with the conservation community that, that I always preach to whenever I'm there is that, you, you know, we have to get better at telling these stories. You know, if we if they were as good as the denialists were at saying global, global, global warming is actually real, then, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right? And, then, and, I, and then I guess go, to go back to the original question, though, like why why is there doubt right why would you market that this is not a problem uh, when it obviously is i think that originally there was doubt because um there was a lot of really big industrial players that would have not made as much money off of it if if there were um if people started thinking about things differently i think now you see a lot of like the big i mean you see shell talking about it now right, right. shell says that they believe in climate change right and that's something that before, maybe even two years ago, they wouldn't have said. So I think people, it's starting to change because everyone's just getting to the point where like, you can't really, you know, you see all the indicators here and there's not really any way to say, okay, that's not really actually happening. Right. And I think, you know, also I think psychologically, you know, if something isn't immediately affecting you, there's an occasional hurricane somewhere in the country and like where there was never a hurricane there before. Like, but then you go on about your day, right? You're you're back to, you're back to Facebook. Right. Right. So um, I think it is kind of like making the, the issue more, I mean, in this, whatever, 10, 15 minutes we've been talking, like you've already like, I'm, I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, Kind of you pioneering this sort of area of focus in the combination of today's technology and um, and, and conservation. How do you go about marketing yourself? Yeah, because right? uh, I you know I, I saw you have a really cool logo just with your, <laughs> your name. I don't even what's the what's the mark you have on your S? Is there like a little S and like a time thing? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, well, it's supposed to be kind of like the the arc of the Earth and and like a satellite type of thing going over it. So that was the, it works. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, but, um, I think, you know, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. I've been lucky in the fact that, uh, tech is kind of cool right now, you know? So, so when you start talking about tech solutions and, 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 you know, now when I talk about drones or now when I talk about using sensors and the internet of things and all these kinds of technologies to, to start to protect these places better, 
um, people are actually interested in it. Yeah. So it's, so I benefit. You're kind of almost speaking their language exactly, now. Like yeah. when a while back, I was like, what are you talking about? Because yeah. I know you, you mentioned before when we, we were chatting, you know, like a, about the real time distribution of information. Can you talk a little bit about that? Where you, you, you mentioned like using social media and, you know, things that where you're condensing the amount of time where you said, I think before it was like almost two years yeah. to put together any sort of report. Right. But now you can do it damn near in real time. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's the amazing thing about, you know, social media and the connectivity that we live in today. So, you know, our, our project in Botswana, which is the Okavango Wilderness Project, we, we created this, um, this website called Into the Okavango, which is intotheokavango.org. And we went on this big expedition. We've done it for a number of years now, um, and we're going to be doing it for the next three years. But when we go on this expedition, all the data that we collect as scientists, you know, water quality data, animal sightings, um, shots of the habitat, everything gets basically collected and uploaded to this website real time. And it's all open data. It's all available for anyone to do whatever they want with. And the idea behind that was, you know, in the past, when scientists would go on expeditions, they would go on this big, long expedition. They'd collect all this data. Um, they'd be, you know, disconnected from the world for a year, and then they'd come back, and they'd have to flush through it all and really understand it. And then, and then ultimately, they'd publish it. And then it would end up getting in magazines like Scientific American or Nat, Nat Geo or something like that, and people would find out about it. Well, we wanted to kind of completely open up the way that expeditions were, were done and just completely turn that on its head. And so we decided, we're going to go on these expeditions, we're going to collect all this data, and we're just going to share it with the world real time. And then let the world do whatever they want with it, you know, and it was and the 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 reaction we had to it was amazing. I mean, we we gained like 55,000 Instagram followers over the course of like three weeks or something wow. like that. We, I mean, th- this is the reach that that project ended up having and how amazing it was. We got a, a, a tweet of support. There was the beginning of the expedition last year was in Angola. And it was a very, very difficult part of the expedition. Um, it took a long time to get through from, from one place to another um, in the, in that expedition. The team kind of, they're, you know, they're, they're, um, they were all feeling kind of bummed about the whole thing. Right. And we ended up getting this tweet of support. And the tweet came from um, uh, an, an astronaut on the International Space Station. So there was a, an <laughs> Italian astronaut named, and her Twitter handle is Astro Samantha. And she was actually following our expedition. And in one of the from lowest- space. From space. From space. She's on the International <laughs> Space Station. And she actually sent us a tweet of support. And that, like, you know, that's a morale booster right there. If you have somebody who sends you a tweet who's not even on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. It's that- pretty amazing. <laughs> and, and I guess, you know, I can imagine part of your work is really frustrating. I think for a lot of innovators, you know, a being in the room with people with old thinking you're like i'm trying to convince you to do this and that plus the fact that you're trying to save the planet right (laughs) and you have you have the people who you're supposed to be working with kind of not listening to you and then you got the people who just don't care like like me yeah Uh, no i care i'm just kidding (laughs) i kind of care um i threw i throw things in the right but i still don't know like which you know recycling bucket certain things go in yeah so i have to figure that out (laughs) but um how do you, what does keep you going, right? Is it the tweets from space? Is it just, you know, the, what are the little indicators of success that kind of keep you motivated? Yeah. To, to be honest, the thing that really gets me most excited is, is I do a lot of like public speaking and do a lot of like STEM outreach to students, you know? And so the, the stuff that really gets me excited is when I have people come up to me afterwards, you know, like young high school students or people in college who are like going to school for engineering, but they have absolutely no idea what they want to do with their lives. They're just doing it because their parents told them to. And then they come up to me afterwards and they're like, 
holy cow, I had absolutely no idea I could spend my life doing something like this. And like hearing that from someone is like such an inspiring thing, you know, right. because I was in their place, right? I went to school for engineering because I liked engineering, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, you know? And so, and I just kind of happened on this career path that I'm super happy and super fulfilled about. And so when I know I'm kind of inspiring those others, that's, that's, you know, that's what really kind of touches me about. Oh thing. yeah. Um, what, what was it about engineering that attracted you? Like, what were you like, you know, what kind of kid were you? And you're like, Ooh, I want to tinker with stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was that kind of kid. I, I would, um, take apart my dad's electronics at home, um, just because, you know, I'd find a screwdriver and take apart some like audio equipment and my dad being like the really nice guy that he is, instead of like getting mad at me, he would show me how to put it back together. And so I was like, okay, that's kind of planting the little engineering bug in me. Right. And it's, and it's kind of stayed ever since, you know, I was like tech and computers and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, so how did Boeing happen and what were you, what were you doing there? This is, that's a- yeah. So Boeing happened before, um, before this conservation technology stuff happened. It was basically out of school and it was just an internship. So I just applied thinking, you know, that would be really cool to work on space stuff and and ended up getting an internship and uh and worked really hard at it and so and ended up working on propulsion systems so basically the rocket engines and the tanks and everything that makes spacecraft move around when they're in space um and you know did that for 10 years put up uh 13 satellites including one that's going up very shortly um and uh and you know had a lot of really interesting technical challenges and and things like that boeing's been great you know they they were great Company, yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, so you didn't give them a bad review on Glassdoor? And, no, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no. They hated it. Yeah, now they and even when like a lot of this Engineers Without Borders stuff happened or the conservation technology stuff started happening, they were really supportive of the whole thing. You know, I there was years where I was gone for a total of like maybe three or four months just traveling around the world doing so. Projects, I, I, I so. want to paint an accurate accurate picture because I think you know uh, when you do go into these territories and you are meeting with people who are kind of helping you further your cause and vice versa you're helping them further their cause um you've you also kind of have to become a part of the culture and there's like a few things that you've done along the way that have kind of like just are more like cultural you know inclusion um can you talk about some of those just i don't know like how you have to interact with the locals in just a little bit more of a casual environment i think yeah yeah i mean you'll always kind of see that especially when you're in like these really random places I, i spent some time in palau and and um, you, part of that is eating weird things. So I've eaten, you know, giant clams, and I ate this soup with a fruit bat in it. That was actually soup with a fruit bat. Yeah, like a full entire fruit bat inside of it. And it was it's something that they don't do very often in Plow. It's like a very kind of um, you know big deal that that I had some of it. So you know, it's some there's a Did lot you of eat like, the fruit bat or you just ate I the soup. I ate the fruit bat. Yeah, I ate some oh, of the fruit bat. Okay, yeah. all right. How are you feeling? Yeah, no, it's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've eaten some weird things, uh, but but yeah, and so and then a lot of it's just it's you know it's really amazing because you go to all these places all over the world and you realize when you're with somebody that has grown up in a completely different culture than you, they've had like such a different life than what you're used to, and you sit down around a fire with them or you sit down you know with a beer with them and you realize that people are people. You know, like it's just when it comes down to it, everybody's really the same, and if, if you connect with someone you know, on a personal level, like it's, you could become friends and, and, and it's not even anything weird at all. What's the most common human truth you've encountered? Oh, that's a good one. Most common human truth that I've encountered. 
It's not in your notes. So you got, yeah, like, no, you got a full legal not. legal zoo, legal pad. <laughs> you got to write things down or I'll it was forget like eight them. by eleven. It was like eight by thirteen. It's or a big something. one. I like. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I I'm an optimist. So I think people like for the most part, people are out there to do good. You know, and if you give them a chance to kind of do some good, um, they'll they'll embrace it and they get excited about it. And so when I you know being a conservationist, a lot of times I'll work with people who are like fishermen or work with people who are hunters in some of these places. And these are people who would have, um, you know, in the past been kind of the enemies of conservationists. But, but if you talk to them and you, you kind of talk to them in on their level, like not trying to like tell them all these things are you doing bad, explain to them like, you know, like maybe if you stop fishing, you know, lobsters for six months, they'll come back and then you can have better fishing for the next three years. Um, a lot of times they just kind of understand it and they're like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. So that's we'll interesting. I mean, there's this theme of like, you know, Lisa is a theme I stick to is collaboration versus competition. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think that is, it's good to hear that that's sort of at the center of a little bit of your, you know, process. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it, how I mean I'm assuming that's yielded some really good results and yeah. like have you you know what have been some of the successes that you've seen come from any of the expeditions that you've that you've been on? Yeah, I mean I I, I totally agree with you there. I'm I'm such a collaborator. Like all the projects that I work on are just me. I meet somebody. I'm like, oh, let's work on this together, and we kind of get together. And so I'm I'm a serial collaborator. Um, but I I totally I mean there's been some amazing stuff that's happened. The the project that we have in Botswana has like since kind of moved on into Namibia and Angola and we're, we're looking to set up one of the largest protected areas in the world there. Uh, we have conservation agreements with the governments there. we have a conservation agreement with Angola, which I don't think anyone else really does. And so um, our project's really, really strong in that region. And so there's a lot of really uh, uh, amazing opportunities. Um, I've worked to help establish a lot of parks and, and reserves and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's been great. Do you go back and visit them just to like just to, in a non-working yeah. you know capacity? Yeah, yeah, no, I do, I do. I, I love kind of going out to those places. You know, a, a lot of this travel p- takes me out to places that are so far off the map and so disconnected from stuff, and it's just it's it's nice, it's refreshing to kind of get away from things every once in a while in a right. place where you know you have to travel for fifteen hours to get cell phone service like a place that disconnected. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, uh, you're also semi recently married. I am. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and you've been doing, how long have you been doing the conservation stuff? Um, since 2008, 2008. Okay. So, um, so how has, you know, your newly wed life <laughs> changed your, you know, cause everybody's like seeking work life balance, right. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. It, you know, some people say there is no work life balance. Everybody's included in everything, but right. you know, what is your, cause it, it, these things call you away. Yeah. Um, well, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's something I'm still kind of getting used to, you know, before it's easier when, when you really only have to worry about yourself. Um, but now there's another person and families and kind of all this kind of stuff. So it, it, to be honest, it's something that I'm still kind of working on. Uh, but I do realize I can't take four month long expeditions anymore, probably because right. she's probably not going to be too happy about that. That's when you start becoming a boss. That's when you put teams together. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, well, it's you guys go. Yeah. I'll catch up. Fortunately, that's where the work's going at this point. <laughs> so, so yeah. no, that's awesome. Um, I, th- I think about uh, there's a you have a project upcoming. I don't know. Can you talk about it a little bit? Um, or do you have to keep that hush hush? Yeah, the, there's one. Yeah, there's one I have to kind of keep hush. Okay, off. but but we are, you know, we there's a lot there's a lot of projects. I'm I'm going to um, Belize to to do some uh, mapping and tracking of animals. 
out there. Um, there's a the the project that kind of has to be hush hush is uh, is in Peru and it's um, and it's going to be announced at TED, which is pretty exciting. Um, I'm going to uh, back to Botswana and Angola, and we're doing a lot of work out there. Um, it, there's there's a lot of stuff coming up. So. Now, um, when you're pioneering a, a field, yeah, um, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about like it takes a lot of convincing and things like that. And we had a conversation before about investors and like, where does capital come from? And, you know, uh, what kind of hurdles have you experienced in, in that world of like, you know, because it, when you think about tech and startups and like innovation yeah. and even the kind of stuff we talk on the show, yeah, everybody's going to VC route. And like, yeah. you hear about like apps getting billions of dollars and right. you're like, I'm trying to save the planet. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I, that's something that like, it, it's it's always been a problem with the work that I do is, you know, I'm kind of sitting in this little dark corner, right? Um, I, I deal with tech primarily, but I'm not necessarily going to be a unicorn, right? I'm not going to be the kind of company that a VC, unless they're kind of caused or mission-based, like someone who's a VC or an angel probably won't really want to back me because I'm, I'm not necessarily going to come back with those kinds of returns. I try and make sure that that the projects I work on aren't just these money sinks where things disappear and never return. But at the same time, a lot of the other money that I get are from from the foundations. And they're um, very excited about this work and funding this kind of work, but they, they are always very focused on a specific area. Like, you know, this foundation wants to help fisheries in Indonesia who are working on this number, this thing. And which is, and I love working on projects like that and it's amazing, but if those fisheries can if the technology that I developed for those fisheries can be used off the coast of Western Africa, I'd like to develop it in a way that I can do that and not just fo- have it keep keep so like focused on that one thing. So that has been a problem. Um, but but you know there are people who are kind of excited about it. There's tech people who are now running foundations and and lots of interesting stuff. But it is it is a little you know this project came out at Stanford and so I was surrounded by a lot of. Silicon Valley money and a lot of people who are excited about their projects or building apps. And I would constantly hear, you know, $8 million for this company. That's basically Instagram or, you know, like we're the Instagram for (laughs) Instagram friends. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, so yeah, no, I, sometimes you see that in tech and, you know, to a certain extent it's understandable, but there's also like a lot of money going around there that maybe um, could be better used elsewhere. Um, uh, it'd be interesting to see how that, uh, the Shah Selby campaign looks for, <laughs> for rallying th- those troops. Um, ha- d- does your work ever bring you to the U S? Um, yeah, it does. But, but the U S is actually, you know, we have a really good coast guard and, and ranger system. We have all these satellites to be able to track this kind of stuff. It's, it's that, you know, a lot of my work focuses on, on places where resources are more constrained, right. Where we have to try and protect these places. Um, but we don't have a ton of money to do it, you know? And, 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 and it also focuses on lots of places where there's greater biodiversity and there's lots of like risk behind a certain type of species, you know, disappearing. So like rhinos or something like that. And so, so I'm trying to experiment rhinos. I hope those (laughs) never go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, no, not those. Please save those. those. Yeah, <laughs> please save the spearmint rhino. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's 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 focused in places where this kind of stuff's happening, and 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 
maybe the work that I do can can offer a little bit of help there. You talk about the Internet of Earth things. Yeah. What does that mean? So the Internet of Earth things, this is kind of where a lot of my focus is going. And and basically the whole idea behind that is to take everything that we see with like the smart home and the connected city and, and the Internet of Things phenomenon and then and leverage that technology to try and protect some of these places. So, you know, if you're if you want to monitor an, uh, an area, it the way we've done it in the past is we send a scientist there, some grad school, uh, grad students there uh, year after year to take certain samples and determine if things are changing. And so, like, say you're monitoring crocodiles in some region, you have to send some grad students out there and they test crocodiles, uh, you know, test the water that the crocodiles are living in for the close to a decade. And then 10 years later, they're like, oh, crap, you know these crocodiles are dying and they start to realize that things are going south. Right. So the whole idea is now, you know, because of the internet of things, because of smartphones, because of sensor technology and all this stuff has become cheap and pervasive. It's all over the place. You could take that and you could build platforms that can sit out there and basically autonomously continuously take this data and send it back to us. And so that's one of the things that we're doing with this Botswana Okavango project is we're, we're building these sensor networks, these mesh networks to kind of monitor the water quality there. So we, we call measuring the water in this Delta habitat, we call it um, the heartbeat of the Delta because all the animals rely on it and and wow. the water flows into Botswana, but it comes from Angola through Namibia into Botswana. And so if anything were to happen upstream of that, you know, mining activities, dams, anything like that, it's going to change the flood dynamics that come down and, and, and make this home of the biggest population of, of elephants on the African continent, right? So, so we can build sensors that can watch that and tell us basically immediately if water levels start changing or if pollutants start entering the water or if... All sorts of different stuff happens. And a lot of the stuff, you're, I mean, you're you're essentially building from scratch, or at least from pieces and, and bits. You know, where do you look to for inspiration? Like, I, I see you're like borrowing from a lot of like different industries and trends and yeah. technologies. You know, where does your own personal sort of because there's a level of creativity that goes into all this stuff, especially you know with the idea of constraint. I like to think that you know the best innovation comes from constraint. Like, oh, you're, yeah. you're in a developing country, the oh we don't have a X Y Z thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so where does your creative sort of you know spin come from yeah i mean I, I i read a lot about kind of the tech world and what's happening there it's something that i'm i'm pretty interested in um and uh and you know i spend a lot of time on twitter <laughs> but no i've i've friends who are in other industries and we talk about these kinds of things all the time and i and i hear i like kind of keeping a, a group of people around me that are very interdisciplinary working on other things. Cause I feel like if you get too lost in the conservation world, or if you get too lost in the tech world, like you start to think about the very constrained solutions, certain things that, that all the people around you will say, Oh, that's a good idea. You know, yeah. but if you're spending time with artists and, and, you know, random anthropologists and all sorts of different types of disciplines that they know nothing about your work. And you talk to them about, this is what I'm working on. And, and if you can get through to them, I feel like, a lot of times the stuff that they, the replies that they'll give back to you are ones where you're like, oh crap, I never thought of that before. That's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. And so, so thinking outside of the box really kind of gets that going. Yeah. I mean, one of the themes that pops up a lot on this show is just like the, you know, diversity. Yeah. Right. Diversity of a social circle, diversity of your professional team yeah. and like, and not even ethnic or, but just experience, like life experience. Right. And, and yeah, somebody will approach a problem very differently than you would in your normal day to day. Yeah. Um, what's been the most left field kind of discovery you've, you've had from talking to, you know, these anthropologists and artists? 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of a good, <laughs> that's a good question. I I wouldn't really know how to answer that. Yeah, one. no, it's yeah. fine. I was just like, just kind of left. I was like, oh, it'd be really interesting. Like, let's paint them. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> that's how I put art and, and technology together. Um, so uh, the show is called Innovation Crush. Um, you've been all over the world and played with a lot of different technologies. Um, what have you seen out there that you're actually crushing on? Uh, so. So I would say there's two things. Um, one is I, you know, I, I very, I have a very big crush on the whole open source movement and everything that's been happening with that. And so, you know, open source really shaped a lot of the software that we deal with today and operating systems and all that kind of stuff. And I really like watching this evolution into open hardware. And I mean, you see amazing things happen with it, right? The whole reason why drones are bought for everyone at Christmas and stuff is because of this whole open source, open right. hardware movement, right? So before it was something that only mil- you know militaries or defense contractors did. And then you have a bunch of people who are hacking these boards and using cell phone sensors to make RC airplanes fly. And then they become big, massive com- companies like DJI or 3D, 3D Robotics. So I think it's really cool. Like that, that's an area that I'm really interested in. And, and I, a lot of the the solutions that I work on are kind of focused around that. It's how you can use this kind of open source methodology to, to build these solutions and build cheaper versions of, of this kind of stuff. Did you read about the guys who, uh, they won some contest, but they created like open source sex toys? No, oh, no, I didn't. Fast company, like look it up, open source t- sex toys. Oh, yeah. uh, I've read that article several times. <laughs> It's like completely strange. Oh, it's yeah. like there's a cucumber and then there's like some nodes and like some dude's wearing a gas mask. I'm like, wow, what is happening here? <laughs> um, but people have weird habits. Yeah. Uh, so you said there was two two things that yeah you- yeah. So the other thing is, uh, I, I'm you know I'm super interested by the whole like VR and and AR stuff like virtual. Reality. I so I did that 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 studio. What is they're called VRSE uh, Studios and they have oh, their, yeah, yeah. those those documentaries they did on one in, in, on Ebola and the right. other one was on the Syrian refugees. Yes. And just the power of that. But that was the New York times. Uh, New York times did a one on a refugee situation. Yeah, yeah. That was when they did distributed like the, the million, you know, Google cardboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so there it's this, there's a studio called VRSE that does some of that stuff, but like just, I watched those and, and it's such a compelling way to tell a story, you know, to be able to kind of look around and, and feel like you're actually in it. And I think that that could have pretty amazing, like scientific and conservation outcomes if we start yeah. using that stuff. So I'm, I, you know, I like that stuff. I think, really I, cool. I think on your next excursion, you should take the world with you to yeah. that environment, at least through VR. And I mean, if you think about like real time, right? Like there's, real-time VR technology, so you can live stream VR, or, you know, you put together a really compelling piece, yeah. and I think, you know, you start to w- win that war a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on a few of our projects coming up this year, we are going to take some of those 360-degree cameras and uh, GoPro housings that's got a bunch of GoPros all over, so you can so you can build that sort of thing. So, we'll see. That's great. Um, also, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is... Um, innovation to me is, is exploration. So I think, you know, innovation's exploration of, of things people haven't done before, right? It's an exploration of what's possible with the constraints that you have or, or what's around you. I think it's, uh, it's exploration. That's great. Uh, what else you got on that piece of paper? What's, uh, what's line, line four? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Using engineering for good. That's what line four oh. is. <laughs> But I think we got there. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, so cool. I, where can uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so um, people can probably find me mostly on Twitter. I really like Twitter. So it's at 
Shaw Selby, S-H-A-H-S-E-L-B-E. Um, and, you know, I have a website. You can Google me. I'm yeah, that's an easily Googleable yeah. name. Is Googleable? Yeah, yeah. Googleable. Yeah. Googleable. Yeah. <laughs> tricking a baby. Goo goo. Okay. Exactly. This, this, yeah. I told you I was sick. Um, everybody, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Thank you so much, Shaw, for stopping by. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thanks. It hasn't been too weird, has it? No, no. It's okay, great. good. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.